Blog Talk Radio. Aloha, I'm your host, Paul Booth. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I'm going to be joining Pastor Jim McNulty. We're going to be discussing lots of films today from Scorsese to Sergio Leone to King Kong and the remakes to Quentin Tarantino, Dallas Buyers Club, our likes, dislikes, how these films have changed for us over the years. Uh, Today's going to be a good, diverse show. It's going to be like the shows we've been doing uh, that look at Milos Forman, Jonathan Demi, Ang Lee. This is the fourth of our Sunday series where we're just going to be purely examining cinema. We're not going to be having a guest um, discussing a festival, promoting a film. Um, It's just going to all be about... Uh, talking movies, and as producers, we, of course, started this show uh, because our love of film, and I'm calling our producer now to let him know to call in to know that we're up live. Today's episode is going to be total jazz-like. We're going to go with the flow. We're not going to be overbearing about everything being perfect. Um, Hey, Jim, how's it going? Uh, I'm on air with you right now, so go ahead and just call in live, and I got the show rolling, and I'll pull you in, and we'll keep going. Excellent. So, yeah, that was Jim McNulty. He's going to be calling us in. And so I want this show today, I've always wanted this show to be, even though it's our show, I say I or me sometimes or we, and it is ours. Not only is it ours as a team, a production team, but it's ours as listeners and supporters. I'm going to save an announcement here real quick while Jim calls in, but we're going to start over with Age of Innocence, and we're going to jump into lots of different things. But um, as I bring Jim on the air, we'll welcome him. Uh, Welcome, Jim. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Excellent. Welcome back. So, yeah, so today's show is just going to be very jazz-like. We're going to talk about a lot of different films. There's not a set theme other than we're going to be discussing the specifics of likes and dislikes, films that Jim didn't like that I happened to miss. I'll be able to uh, provide some historical context. Other films will be able to share our likes and dislikes, um, from opposite ends of the spectrum, and how sometimes maybe a film grew with us. I want today's show to be very just jazz-like. It doesn't have to be perfectly scripted. We're not trying to uh, meet a specific need or really do a great job for a guest. Our ultimate goal, and I think Jim would agree, has always been that this show is like talking movies with your buddies at Starbucks. So with that, there's flubs, and there's forgotten points, and there's noises of people shuffling paper to look at their notes of what they want to talk about. So I decided, you know what, why not let's just do an episode where we kick back and we talk about some things we like and dislike. And we started out, Jim, you just had had been discussing Age of Innocence, but since you just went through that to not have to redo it, we'll save it, and what we'll kick off with is a like and dislike um, that you and I, I believe you remember, this is the only time we ever actually had a 
specific argument over a film because Jim had seen Pulp Fiction when I was 14, so he had seen it when it was new. Um, I watched Pulp Fiction kind of backwards. I watched Pulp Fiction uh, with Tarantino saying that he takes from Howard Hawks and Jean-Luc Godard and uh, De Palma, and Jim was uh, sharing his point of view of it being fresh and what was new. Um, so with that, I want to turn the floor over to Jim, but what I will say is for all of all of you fans of Pulp Fiction, the the ending at the beginning is lifted from Serpico, which is a great 1974 Sidney Lumet film where they start out with uh, basically the ending at the beginning. So we want to credit Tarantino for his brilliance with Pulp Fiction, but also check out Serpico if that was something that jumped out with you. So with that, Jim, it's 1993. Uh, take it away, Pulp Fiction. Okay, 19, thanks. <laughs> Paul, That I loved the movie, pure and simple. He said that, uh, that he had lifted different things or different ideas from different directors and, you know, over time. My thing was I sat there and every time I thought I knew what was going to happen next, it was something new. It was a really wonderful, interesting, funny twist and what had come before. And it just stayed with me. I love that movie. It, it, um, I saw it on uh, Maui, I think it was. I'd been at a conference, and my friend and I had gone to the movies not expecting really, you know, we're just going to go to the movie. We're going to see a movie. And I got to see Pulp Fiction. And I have never forgot it. I even remember what happened before and what happened after. Clearly, it was just, oh, yeah, this is a movie I like. Well, plus we got to remember now that Jim and I come from Hawaii, and this is where it didn't come to Kauai. And oddly enough, there were people, I knew some people, that were flying from Honolulu, from Kauai to Honolulu, which is only a 20-minute flight, but still to spend 50 bucks on an airline ticket to see a movie. Um, pardon my language, well, but that I'm a... That was a long pardon? time ago. I said that was a long time ago if the ticket was that cheap. Yeah, I remember what the tickets were just because my dad would uh, fly inter-island to work in Honolulu, and they were like 43 to 50 bucks. That's why it made sense, but... But I, I consider myself a, a shameless movie whore. I'm a movie crackhead. If they could, if they could kill you, I'd be dead. Um, and and I would not fly to San Francisco for fifty bucks to watch a movie, unless Martin <laughs> Scorsese was going to be there talking to you about it afterwards. So for me, I came into it with the hype, with the people saying. I saw it three nights in a row. Now, uh, as Jim knows me well, and people that know me well or that listen to this show, but for new listeners, um, I can't even think of five films that I would watch three nights in a row. Maybe Dog Day Afternoon. Um, and again, like we had said, Serpico, same director, 
So Tarantino knows, you know, when Tarantino takes from people, he takes from the right people. But for me, what Pulp Fiction was, was, A, I know, I know that hype destroyed it. But also it was, I didn't have the background that a lot of people did of, of really knowing John Travolta from Welcome Back, Cotter. And, uh, Saturday, of course, I knew Saturday Night Fever, but his wonderful performance in Urban Cowboy. Um, of course, Uma Thurman was new. Eric Stoltz had been had had some great performances in the 80s with Math, the Peter Bogdanovich film. To me, the film, A, didn't make sense because I hadn't seen Serpico, so it was like, why did the end start the beginning? I didn't, I wasn't into art house, so I didn't see it as art house. Um, I didn't know as much about noir. Um, to this day, I kind of get upset. I remember knowing that the famous dance scene of Travolta and Uma Thurman was Chuck Berry. And I remember being disappointed because people acted like Chuck Berry wrote that song for Tarantino. And it was like, no, Chuck Berry was playing before Tarantino was even born. So there was a lot of things that were outside factors that bugged me about Pulp Fiction to where it was like, it's great, it's cool, it's original, but it did not invent noir. It did not invent rock and roll music. It did not invent hitman movies. And because so many people, media, critics, were acting like Tarantino invented film stock itself, it just kind of turned me off to the movie. I had to stay away from it for many years, even though it made me a Travolta fan. I'll give you that, Jim. The characters were amazing. Um, it, I, it made me a fan. I, I had uh, it, I had uh, a thing with Travolta, you know, Urban Cowboy. You said you liked it. You're kidding, Paul. I I didn't like that one either, <laughs> but I loved oh, him. I loved him, and you know, I, I really did. In this movie, it was just you know, it changed my mind again. Well, I mean, did you like him in Saturday Night Fever? Yes. Okay. So this is a thing where Urban Cowboy, the only reason why I liked it was because uh, my hillbilly background and my uncle and father going to those bars as young men and me seeing pictures of my uncle dressed like Travolta um, gave me that extra understanding and then living in trailer parks um, gave me that extra kind of, so I should, I, I thank you for bringing that up, Jim, because I should bring to a point that there is, when you relate to a movie or you see your uncle in a movie, then you kind of have a different, um, perspective on it. And of course that was produced by the late Robert Evans who ran Paramount Pictures at the time. But, um, back to Pulp Fiction, the characters, you know, so drawn out and there's the great controversy of, that it was co-written and Tarantino finagled his way into saying he was the only one that wrote it because he wanted to have written and directed by, and we can leave that debate for another time because I have the utmost respect for Tarantino. It's just urban myth, urban legend. Um, in fact, for those of you that like Tarantino, a quick plug for ourselves, um, Full Tilt Boogie, uh, the the horror movie he made with Robert Rodriguez shortly after Pulp 
the producer of Full Tilt Boogie, did a podcast episode with us. Uh, you can find it in the Season 1 archives. Check it out, Miss Ronna Joy Glickman. She shares, shares some great stories about Tarantino and about working with him. So while we're on the subject of Pulp, I just wanted to give that shout-out to our friend, Ronna Joy, who shared our time. But So for me with Pulp, I think I have that hard time, Jim. I don't know how you are. And please let us know where the moment a movie gets too much hype, um, I get pushed off the train. Whatever hype I had heard before, I was it. It was beyond my expectation. I really was just really pleased with those twists, with those. You know, you you watch movies for a long time, or at least I have watched movies for a long time, and I have been set up this, 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 and then this happens. And in that movie, it was this, 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 and then holy moly. You know, it was a delight. Oh, no, I mean, I'll give you that. It was, uh, in terms of coming from it, from how you've been watching movies for over 100 years, um, (laughs) I will uh, give you that from that aspect, yes. And just to jump back a quick point, um, on not liking Urban Cowboy, um, just to let you know you're wrong in the heart of Siskel and Ebert, I had to tell you that. But anyways. um, Yeah, we're going to disagree on that, and that's all there is to it. Okay. Well, well, okay, this one time. Um, But uh, with Pulp Fiction, these characters were so genius. I wish Samuel had gotten the Oscar. No disrespect to Martin Landau. I loved him in Ed TV. No, I I don't know enough about how far back his career goes to really uh, talk bad or good, but I know he was not better than Samuel L. Jackson in a richly deserved... If you want to go on YouTube, check out the Oscar nominee and list of winners, and Samuel Samuel L. Jackson actually says shit or fuck when they don't read his name, and it's kind of funny to see. Um, but yeah, Pulp Fiction. Now, now that Jim had talked about liking it, I didn't like it. I had a change. I understood noir more, and understood where Tarantino was coming from, and his respect for history. I don't mind directors that take borrow. I don't like when they don't acknowledge. And because Tarantino will say. I loved this because of Godard's Band of Brothers, then it's more power to you. So to me, to this day, I am a fan of Pulp Fiction. I've seen it a few too many times to where certain parts I fast forward or skip because, you know, when you have Walken and Ving Rhames and you just have such a good cast, there's so many tidbits that you can pull apart. Um, so I'm glad that we got to discuss that one because I've been looking for films that we like, dislike, and with that, we'll jump into something that we spoke about on our last episode, mainly because of the educational importance, um, and we just acknowledged one of the performances in the film, but uh, Dallas Buyers Club, hit me with why you didn't enjoy that film, Jim. 
you know, that is, we've talked back and forth on it. And I've like, you know, gone into my head and my gut and gone, why didn't I like it? And, you know, I have a background of uh, working with HIV and AIDS, uh, you know, as an epidemiology three specialist in an organization that uh, another organization also that, you know, was involved with that. And it still rankled me. I don't know why it was. Yeah, I really don't have that settled yet inside. It just did. And uh, I really have to, Paul, you know, I'm going to have to track it down and view it again. And um, I'm a little hesitant just because, you know, one of the things that we've been doing here is, uh, you know, is going over these movies. And I'm seeing more and more how I can see a movie, have seen a movie a long time ago. And admittedly, I didn't see, you know, the Dallas Buyers Club all that long ago. But how it, you know, how that, uh, where I'm at the time, uh, where the society's at at the time, and uh, how, who and what I am. And it's going to be a little bit of a uh, challenge with this one because I'm going to have to look at me in relation to the movie a little closer. Uh, there is something there. Yeah, there's something, you know, we interact with movies. And there's something there about that movie, like I said, that rankled me. I don't know if it was... Uh, yeah, see, I don't know. I'm going to have to see it again. Well, there's... Uh, I, I started to watch it again the other night on HBO streaming. Um, I've seen it a good five times. Um, of course, rushed out to see it because all the hype and all the... Wanted to see the best after nominations. Um, DiCaprio should have won that year, hands down, for Wolf of Wall Street. He had way more of a character to carry in balance, and he played a real character, so it's not a, oh, he played a fictional character, or he could rely on the writing. Um, he had to carry so many different levels of of acting and always know where he was. And I think when we really break down performances, which we tend to overdo as film lovers, or especially on this show, um, next time you watch a great performance or a, for, or a performance that you love, really pay attention to how in control they are in any moment. And I don't mean to call the big shots or to call the big scene or to the crux of the movie. I mean as simple as if DiCaprio says, who's that guy standing over there? Um, he's just as much in character as if uh, he's being hauled off to jail. And that is the sign of a really great actor. So with that, with with McConaughey winning, the first time I saw it, I was just so taken back by it. Because again, this has been 20 years since HIV and AIDS has been put so much in our face through a film. 
and through yeah, an actor Paul, being honored for it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, just as we've been talking, it's like, I think I have a little insight into me. And part of it, I'm starting to think, might have been that I went through that period and what happened, you know, how I felt, what was, you know, going on in my life. And it might just be um, a part of me not, you know, that it was actually did hit a chord in me that I didn't particularly want to hear singing again. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's interesting because I tie that into... I tied that into the great Sidney Lumet who says uh, all movies are just self-realization. And I like that you said that, Jim, because I'm I'm compliment I'm com- constantly not arguing but debating with people where I say if you like a film you're not noticing how much of that film is in you. Yeah, yes, or yes. How much you're a part of that film or how much something in that film is your hobby? It's not a big surprise that car lovers love the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, it's like, duh. Uh, so when you can find that film, that even if it's something as simple as, um, not to veer too far off subject, but I remember a friend of mine had tremendous issues with his father, and not to make light of it, but he had watched the classic Paul Newman with me movie with me, HUD, which is just about that rite of passage, father and son not getting along, and they're farmers. He was a farmer from Ohio, and I remember during movies, he very seldom, he wasn't into movies, so he didn't care if you talked, or he would talk, or he would say, what are we going to do later? And I remember he was so transfixed by this movie and this was before I knew about his issues with his dad. And when I shut the movie off, I said, what do you want to do? And he just looked at me and he said, good movie. And he didn't talk for about 25 minutes. And it was really weird because I was like, are you okay? He's like, yep. And he would just stay quiet. And so I use that as an example that movies really are... 50% us and 50% of the movie. And we're constantly thinking we're going there to be entertained or that it's all the screen. But 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 it's but it's us. It's it's the audience. It's who's with you. It's where you, it's like you said, where you're at. Like you said, where you might have been where when you saw the Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, yes. Uh, exactly. maybe you were shut off to this set. I mean, yeah. on a surface level, on a surface level, did you, did you at minimum like the performances of Jared Leto and uh, Matthew McConaughey? Were those something that worked for you? Oh, you know, definitely the story. Yes, it held together, and yes, I could identify with it, but I wasn't picking up with on the fact that it just didn't. I wasn't ready to revisit that. Uh, as real as it came across. And it, this is really just sort of surprising me because uh, I, I 
didn't give it uh, a lot of thought after. I just, you know, I didn't like the movie. Uh, okay, okay. Well, with that, with Jim giving a thumbs down to uh, the Dallas Buyers Club, we got to think of our own thing. We have four stars, five stars. We have thumbs up, thumbs down. We, I, I wonder if we can just come up with Jim didn't like it. Um, the as we jump into um the remakes we've constant we've been discussing remakes with with Ben Hur out there with another uh Star Wars movie not a remake but a continuation sequel to me they're all the same with that it's gonna bring us to. 1933, we have Faye Ray and Robert Armstrong, and and I'll run through the years and the um and the scores here on the Internet Movie Database. King Kong gets an 8.0 in 1933. Um, we did discuss some of this the other day when we were talking about visual effects. Um, we have a 5.8 for. Uh, the Jeff Bridges version of King Kong in 1976. Shout out to our friends on Kauai because that was partially filmed on Kauai, so we always want to acknowledge that. And then we get to a 7.3 for the King Kong in 2005, which takes place in 1933 New York, directed by Peter Jackson, who is, of course, known for Lord of the Rings. And it was anchored by Jack Black, Adrian Brody. Um, it interests me to go from an 8 to a 5 to a 7.3. Internet movie database is either completely wrong or completely right. So it always their scores always intrigue me. We'll kick off with the 1933 King Kong, which is interesting because if you rewatch it, you can see scenes of... Griffith Park in Los Angeles, which is just down the street from Hollywood Studios. So you can kind of see that they were filming in this park um, and doing backdrop shots, back screen shots. Um, basic storyline, the film crew goes to a tropical island, which made it even funnier because it's just a park in the Hollywood Hills, um, for an exotic location shoot and discovers a colossal giant gorilla who takes a shine to their female blonde scar. Now, we could use all kinds of funny subtext that the colossal, powerful gorilla is into the female blonde star, and it's about a film shoot, but we won't go there because we love our Hollywood cliches. But King Kong, 1933, Marion C. Cooper, uh, known for directing so many John Wayne pictures, um, movies, for those of you new listeners, not condescending when we say pictures. Uh, we want everyone to at least learn when they listen to this. So, Jim, hit us with your thoughts of original King Kong, because I know you're a fan. Uh, the original. Okay, come on. It's a remake in its own way. It's Beauty and the Beast. And when I saw it, you know, like I even I, as old as I am, wasn't around when it was first shown. But uh, at the age that I saw it, I can't remember exactly what that was. Loved it. 
it was, you know, it was, it had this uh, humor to it. It had this excitement and adventure and the movies, the remakes after that just were a little bit too much, uh, even though they had humor in them, or you could see, you know, I could see humor in them. They were a little too ponderous, a little, took themselves a little bit too seriously with a remake, you know, and it just went downhill for me. It's like, oh, no, not quite, not quite, guys. And there's that I really do have a hard time with remakes because I, I guess I'm the type of person, if I see something and I like it, there is a standard set. And even though I was younger with the first King Kong, that was my standard. And it definitely was not met by the two remakes. Ah, uh, interesting, interesting. Well, I like that you're saying that because the thing for me that I can relate that to and that I can kind of feel like I'm in the same boat is the original Star Wars trilogy. I don't care how many effects they put care what new sound design they have, what new hotshot director, uh, the original trilogy is still what excites me. Those stories, those watching them with my older brother, those um, uh, relatable things. things relate. I mean, of course, Star Wars is just about believing in yourself and believing in a higher power and and having something that guides you through life. I mean, it's not rocket scientists. It's actually, in some ways, it's almost insulting that George Lucas took the world by storm by, by, by saying something as simple as believe in yourself and that we fell for it hook, line, and billion-dollar sinker. Um, really? You feel that? I, I, just, I don't... I was just, you know, no matter what the message, and I get the message, it was it was a good ride. I mean, it was a really oh, good ride. Right, right. When I saw no, I mean, the first one... Yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 go, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, no I, no, I agree with you. Good ride... Um, I just like when the message is more than look both ways before you cross the street. Great ride. I love the original trilogy. I've watched them back to back to back countless times. I own Empire Strikes Back. So, yeah, but but go ahead with what you're saying because you saw them new. So that, that in itself is is fresh. Yeah, when I saw them new, I had... Uh, a friend, a roommate that before that was actually made. And he told me that there was this thing coming down the pike that was going to be nine episodes. If I'm not mistaken, he said nine. And it might have been six, yeah. but I think it was nine. So I oh, was, no, you know, I... the original story. Nine. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I I really wanted to see the next six episodes after I'd seen the first three. And as far as the message goes, I was not, uh, to me, that was just entertainment. I wasn't going to think deeply about it. And I went there to enjoy myself, and I did. Uh, the thing was, when, and I forget which in the lineup it was, at the end of the one film, 
when uh, I think it's when Han Solo confronts his father, and you know uh, that scene in the theater. I it so mirrored my past with my father that I I, I don't didn't know what happened. I went out of the theater with my friend Nora, and I was crying, and uh, it, it struck a chord. Entertainment. I was going there just for entertainment and was confronted with something that I didn't know I still had such charge on. Um, right. You had told me that story. It's Empire Strikes Back, and I um, chime in with that where I... Um, one time was watching um, Return of the Jedi, which of which of course is sorry, I gotta adjust my headphones. Um, I uh, Return of the Jedi, he confronts his father. They have a duel. They must fight to the finish. And anyone who hasn't seen it, sorry, this is going to spoil it for you, but you definitely should have seen it by now if you're anywhere on planet Earth. Um, for me, what was interesting was was that was not a duel to the death, but I had had a really big argument with my dad the day of, and it had come to that point where we wanted to uh, throw a punch at each other, and Luke looks at Darth Vader and says... And Luke looks at Darth Vader and says, um, you want to strike me down, Father, but you have too much love inside you. And I'm here, and I'm here to return that love. And I remember saying, fuck this movie, and turned it off. And, you know, and this was as an adult, because I wasn't looking at it as that this was also talking about rite of passage, that even people who totally get along with their father come across that line where they're going to want to throw a punch one day. And comedians make jokes about it. And it, and I'm starting to think that it's just part of what it is. But um, So when it hit that point, I went, whoa, 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 whoa. He, the dad wants to strike him down but won't because he loves him too much and the son knows. He has to be there to help the father find his love. Um, you know, that's the strong, powerful message in which I think you're you're also implying with King Kong is that there's always, it will never go away, the message of uh, the beauty and the beast. And the... Being open to who we are and appreciating who we are on the inside and the outside, and and it is kind of emotional to think that this gorilla has to kidnap the blonde to to feel feel beauty. And and I know we can get way philosophical with this and way you know go down the slippery slope of of what a nineteen 33 filmmaker meant, but with 1976, has as the first one was an island, a petroleum exploration expedition comes to an isolated island, shout out again to Kauai, and encounters a colossal giant gorilla. This, of course, had the great Oscar-winning Jeff Bridges, who 
at the time was not an Oscar winner, but he had been nominated for the last picture show. Let me take a side note, because we always love to give out recommendations on this show. And by the way, Jim, at any time, if you want to throw out a quick recommendation, um, uh, the last picture show, Jeff Bridges' debut, um, Oscar... We should actually do a show about uh, Oscar-nominated debuts, because that was uh, Jeff Bridges, of course, coming from a showbiz family and his wonderful father, uh, Lloyd Bridges. Um, But Jeff Bridges was on fire in the last picture show. Uh, We also have Charles Grodin in this. The lovely um, Jessica Lange, Ed Lauder, um, a number of people. And again, a great shout out to our lovely island that we all love. And let me check the cinematography here if we have anything to note um, for cinematographers. Um, And Marion C. Cooper, this was an important director in the 30s and 40s because we always want to take a look at something. Oh, and also, by the way, this was produced by Dino De Laurentiis, who is like the Brian Grazer of today or the... Uh, you know, Louis B. Mayer of the old days. Uh, but with that, King Kong, I don't want to say maybe, Jim, you can have your opinion to uh, skip the second two. I recommend seeing them just to have a perspective um, of all three, um, just to know that they're there. But But I would definitely say to rush to the 1933 version um, as we move into... Well, I'm going uh, to jump in again. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to jump in again. Part of what I see with the remakes of King Kong and then the uh, other remakes that we were talking about, the, the Star Wars, when they go... Well, Star Wars wasn't a remake, but further down the line for the next you know, three episodes, and with King Kong, I think what happened is the directors got a little bit too grandiose. They lost a little bit of, you know, and and I'm talking about uh, just pure entertainment, but they lost a certain intimacy, a certain um, connection, you know, something that, that people could really connect with. And it was right. it just wasn't there. There is, right. you know, a Gertrude yeah. Stein, as Gertrude Stein or somebody said, there was no there there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the with the second trilogy of Star Wars. They're doing part seven, episode seven, right now. We know we'll all get sucked into seeing seven, eight, and nine because we're just. Uh, Lucas, even though he doesn't own these anymore and sold the rights and the films um, and has no part of it, um, we know we're forever uh, sold on that train to watch them all. Um, To me, the best part of Star Wars was seeing how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, but uh, we can leave that for another episode. But with, with King Kong, I think, um, what was interesting to me about the 2005 one was that they had him destroying skyscrapers with how close that was to 2011. 
Um, I had remember going into it thinking, well, what is he gonna uh, destroy? Because he goes up on the uh, Empire State Building. So I thought, what do they really want him doing in New York to a building? Um, but it was done tastefully and wasn't. I didn't have any strange big controversies to it. Um, the story um, for the 2005 version, 1933 New York, an overly ambitious movie producer uh, coerces his cast and hired ship crew to travel to mysterious Skull Island where they encounter King Kong, a giant ape who is immediately spitten by leading actor, leading actress, Anne Darrow. Um, now, as I said, Peter Jackson, this is the Lord of the Rings movie. And um, we have Naomi Watts, a great actress. This was nominated for three Oscars, which, which the 76th one was nominated for two Oscars. This one in sound mixing, sound editing, and visual effects. I figured it would. Some of the scenes of him grabbing the plane are pretty cool. Um, it won in art direction. Um, this one is a, we should actually, you know, we should give people the running time. I think the first one's like an hour and 25 minutes, but this one has a three hour and seven minute running time. Um, Jim, as yeah. a film goer, do you feel that possibly lent to you not enjoying it as much as you might have at two hours and five minutes? Oh, I miss movies that have an intermission they're so long. Lawrence of Arabia, you know, movies like that. That was a, you know, that was a, <laughs> be a little judgmental here, a cinematic experience. Okay, because I was going to say, if you say you don't like uh, Lawrence of Arabia, I will warn you before I click the hang-up button, but go ahead. No, no, I love I Lawrence of Arabia. No, of course. I was waiting for you to say you didn't like it, and I was going to be. Thank you for joining us today, Jim. It's been a wonderful <laughs> Sunday afternoon. <laughs> okay, um, okay, Paul. I hated Lawrence of Arabia. So now let's see what happens. <laughs> there's no bad mouthing Lawrence of Arabia or using the N word. Those are the only two rules of the show. But like you were saying, cinematic experience. Uh, what was it? Uh, overture or orchestra? Um, I was fortunate to see that on the big screen in Austin, Texas. Um, you will laugh at this. Sitting in the balcony, uh, two rows back from the edge, the first row fills up with film school students. And what are the film school students saying to each other? Hey, if I leave early, will you tell me what it was about so I can write my report before class? There you go. And, yes. And I remember looking at my ex-girlfriend saying, do you want to push them over the edge or should I? Because I thought, <laughs> yeah. for you boneheads to be experiencing this for the first time, not, I discovered it in 98, so I had waited seven years, uh, my ex had waited over ten years to be thinking, wow, we are all the way from Hawaii and Austin, Texas, and you, and a few of them left during intermission saying, 
gosh, this movie's so long. And then during that epic shot of where Omar Sharif, and again, no effects, a lens, the two, three, four-minute shot, whatever it is, as he comes out like a mirage, and we wait. Yes. We, yes. yes. We don't yes. rush. We And not one lens change, not one cut, and I remember some kids in front saying, well, gosh, this is a long shot. Yeah, and the first time... the Three Stooges Go ahead. The first time a mirage cinematography where one was actually caught. Well, right, and pulled off Perfectly, and I remember wanting to take these two kids like Larry and Mo from the Three Stooges and go doink yeah, yeah, their heads. Yeah. And and uh and we're so thankful today to be recording talking pictures, by the way. Thank you for that. Um for joining us today. Well we're um hold on one moment. I don't know why the studio door's being knocked on. Um, um yeah, that's Hold on one sec. I'm sorry that we're being interrupted by our sound engineer for something, um, even though we're recording. So he knows not to come in the studio, but we appreciate that. Here you go. Thank you. And thank you for that sound edit. Um, the uh, seven Oscars of Lawrence of Arabia, and we have Best Picture, Best Director, and of course, Best Cinematographer, which the great Roger Deakins spoke of his favorite being Freddie Young. And Freddie Young, because we have to give some historical context here uh, for anyone else who who is into him, uh, shot Dr. Zhivago, another genius David uh, Lean film, uh, Battle of Britain, and it doesn't seem like there's anything else that would uh Nicholas and Alexander doesn't seem like and like anything else would jump out at regular film fans. But we have three Oscars here, which also the great Conrad Hall, who shot Bush and Sundance, American Beauty. Please stop saying American Beauty was Conrad Hall's first film and Road to Perdition. Um, but he won for uh Lawrence and, of course, Dr. Zhivago. So um, that tells you right there, if you haven't seen Dr. Zhivago, please see it. Sorry that we jumped off on that tangent here, but we were talking about Peter Jackson and Epic and remakes. Um, any Lord of the Rings film you see is doing nothing but to be like Lawrence of Arabia in some way. So with that, in our last 10 minutes here, we'll... We'll let Jim discuss what he thought on The Last King Kong. We know you didn't like it, but is there something that you could specifically pinpoint uh, that you didn't enjoy about the film so we can give the listeners a context here? Well, I, I think I already said it. It's there was It was too grandiose. Oh, it right, was too like, grandiose. But what I'd no, like to, no, what I'd like to jump into, or just say, say real quick, was uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
loved the movie oh, the first that. time. Well, loved the movie the first time I saw it. I was working in a movie theater. By the 45th time I saw it, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> and what, what and were I you loved, doing at the movie theater? I, I was working there. Just taking tickets and doing whatever had to be done in the theater. You know, candy counter, the whole bit. Well, see, that's what's great here that we want to say about you new listeners. And um, for those of you that have uh, checked out our show, we're happy to announce. I don't think I told Jim. Maybe I did, but I just got the new numbers today. Uh, 31 countries. And we are fortunate to have a team that's made up of filmmakers or people that work in the music side of things. Um, And Jim, what he brings us is this wonderful uh, half century of watching movies. So that's why these Sunday episodes, we want to let people know we will be doing them as much as we can, that these Sunday episodes will not be how much I've looked up in a book or how much Jim has read in a book. They will be uh, looking at films, both social and um, just regular films. But uh, Jim will be sharing with us, uh, you know, what it was like to see those films for the first time when they were new. Uh, We will get to be able to share as talking pictures the way we've revisited them on DVD or VHS or um, the various ways that we can screen stuff. But we want to let people know, and please let your friends know and, and, and our fans of Talking Pictures, that we will have our weekly festival episodes um, and interviewing filmmakers and discussing what's new in the business and having people on to just talk about their job or their gig we have i'm so happy to announce coming soon we have the skyway film festival from tampa we'll be wrapping that we have uh, a guy from the art department uh we have grips we have um independent directors that'll be promoting their films we have different festivals we're covering um and then Sunday, Jim and I will be jumping into films that don't necessarily have to be controversial, but can um, be like today. We can talk about anything. We are hoping, yeah. because we're both inspired by Cisco and Ebert, and we like to have many debates, never argument about debates, because our goal is, and remember this, people, um, listeners, not people, There's no point in arguing about a film. Everybody's point is valid. Uh, Share film, love film, appreciate film. Don't pull this baloney where you don't talk to someone because they don't like this director. Uh, We're just here to say, hey, maybe you saw it at a different time than I did. And Sunday can be our time to have a virtual Starbucks where we're not necessarily promoting... Uh, We're not looking to get you to check something out. We're just trying to say, hey, this is what I thought. This is what you thought. 
and we will eventually work towards having uh, callers. We're not quite there yet because. Go ahead. Hey, wait a minute, Paul. I, that's something I I want to ask whoever's listening. If they, I've been trying to track down a movie that uh, Ebert actually he had one word review, and he called it excrement. The one of the most horrible every step of the way. Everybody was in, who was involved in that movie did the worst that they could possibly do. It was it had we had such fun watching it, and this I don't know if I'm missing the sense of humor in this, but my feeling was is they were trying to make a serious movie, and it really wasn't, and I haven't been able to track it down. So anybody that's listening, if you know what the movie was, it had sort of an Oriental uh, flavor to it, in that it was the you know in the Orient. But uh, yeah, if somebody could please get that information, thanks, Paul. Oh yeah, no problem. Well, we have a um, we have an email for the listeners. Um. Excrement. We have a we have a uh, email that is Paul Booth Movies at Gmail dot Paul Booth Movies at Gmail dot com, and you guys can send us an email. Not saying that it will happen. But if you have show ideas or genres to discuss or a film to discuss, a film you'd like reviewed, um, what we are going to be doing that we have done on our Talking Pictures Facebook page, by the way, I forgot to mention that. If you are on Facebook, most people are, go to and you'll see a little logo that is a guy with a baseball cap on and it says Talking Pictures with Paul Booth and we have that is where we will be releasing podcasts as we build our website um, you can check out the season 2 finale which was the Palm Springs International wrap up you can check out a rerun of our first ever podcast guest from season one, Miles Doliak, who directed The Historian with William Sadler from Die Hard 2 and Shawshank Redemption. He's also in Miles The Hollow, which we'll be having Miles on for our 75th or 100th episode. We've already got that in order, and hopefully Mr. Sadler from Die Hard 2 and Shawshank will be coming back. Um, we're also going to be talking with, like I said, the director of Skyway, who also, I'm going to just say, he produced a film that had some really known movie stars and television stars in it. And we're going to want you guys to tune into our Facebook page to check that out because we don't name drop, we don't separate our movie stars from our indie filmmakers. This is a place for everyone, but if you want to check out the new 
films from some stars that you like. If you're from that school where you only watch stuff with stars, we have that for you, too. Uh, we have a great film that that won a special jury prize at Slam Dance. Again, not Sundance, Slam Dance, called Huntington's Dance. It's about Huntington's disease. The director, Chris Furby, will be stopping by this Wednesday to talk with us. On Monday, we have Tessa Blake, who will be sharing her, her uh, short films with us. And she was actually just at the Cotton Film Festival. So she'll be telling us what that's like. Um, and um, something, two films that we forgot to discuss that we'll discuss next time, Jim, is Heaven's Gate and Love Story. I watched Love Story again last night, and let me stew on that one so that I'll be ready to talk with you about it. Um, yeah. On the positive, yeah, on the, talk about that. Yeah, on the, I can totally see what you meant now. Um, on the positive recommendations, casting by HBO Streaming. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to give Jim uh, one of the next uh, two and a half minutes to wrap up. But casting by this casting director discovered Redford, Pacino, Hoffman. She cast The Graduate. Um, she cast Butch Casting, The Sundance Kid. Um, change cinema, and she's just a casting director, so we sometimes forget her name. I did until this documentary. So HBO streaming, check out Casting by Now with this Facebook page. Stop by for updates on top ten lists of stuff to check out for the week. We'll update that, and we'll update guests, and we'll have new episodes. Uh, Jim, uh, We'll give you the next minute, and then we'll then I'll take the last forty-five seconds to wrap up. Anything you want to say about today's episode, or to wrap up? Uh, well, actually, what I want to say is, I would like us to do something in the future with documentaries. There's documentaries. Just, uh, it, okay. Yeah, it's just so rich and then I'm not going to have to talk about anything like a remake. <laughs> really, yeah, I really don't like remakes. I like, I've enjoyed oh, yeah, reading a book. Yeah, I've enjoyed right. reading a book and then seeing a movie. But remakes, pretty much, you know, not into it. And that's about well, it. Um, go ahead. I just wanted to say aloha. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. I'm going to put this in the file because since we're going to look at possibly doing an episode next weekend, everyone, tell your friends during the week they can catch festivals, filmmakers. Check out that Facebook page for all your updates, your top ten lists of what to check out, your what's coming up on the festival or what just played, and then we'll use the weekends to get into talking about films. Um, again, all opinions are that of whoever's speaking on the show the host, or the co-host. Jim says aloha. I say aloha. With that, take care. Have a great night. Whatever you do, make sure and watch some good movies. Okay, Paul. See you. Aloha.